Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Deep State Radio. I'm your host, David Rothkopf, coming to you from New York City, and we have people joining you from across the country, and they're all... Uh, the most welcome kind of familiar faces from California. We have, of course, Corey Shockey of AEI. Hi, Corey. Hello, David. And in Vermont, we have David Sanger of the New York Times. Hi, David. Hey, David. And the only one working away, keeping up the, the, the home fires burning, Rosa Brooks in Alexandria, Virginia. Hi, Rosa. David, I don't actually work. I just, I just live on Zoom. It's very different. <laughs> Do you? Have you shifted to an entirely a virtual life? Pretty much. Pretty much. It's interesting. So this is virtual Rosa Brooks. Well, see, that's one of the things that's changed over the course of the past three years. On this week's episode and next week's episode, we'll be joined by Ed Luce, who uh, this week is in a beautiful break from uh, the work schedule, so we wish him well with that. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, the past three years and, and, and the years ahead because we've been doing this for three years, so it's a kind of a third, Yay, such third, a happy anniversary. third anniversary, yeah. Uh, actually, the, the three of us, you know, when we started doing podcasts at um, uh, Foreign Policy, which was two years before that. I've been doing this five years. That's terrifying. It is terrifying. Rosa and Corey look much <laughs> We better. used to be so young. We used yeah. to be so youthful back then. Yeah. Okay, our- so as listeners of Deep State Radio will expect of the possessor of the, of the tiara of optimism, <laughs> I think it's amazing that in five years we haven't grown tired of talking to each other or our positions become so predictable that it's not worth talking to each other. Well, that's true. And I, I suppose uh, Rosa, as the uh, owner of the, uh, the thorny crown of entropy, is probably surprised we're still here. <laughs> I am. I'm surprised civilization hasn't completely collapsed. And, but, but see, there's, it's really a bonus, David, to be apocalyptically oriented, because every day that we aren't in the zombie apocalypse is a, is a happy day in which I feel relief and joy. Okay, but wait a minute. There are happy days for me, too, right? Think of that Onion article. Dog has 3,475th best day ever. I want to remind all of you, though, about why it is that we're doing this since it's the third anniversary, because when David left foreign policy, we all sort of had this meeting and we said, how are we going to make fun of David Rothkopf 
I know, with no podcast. With no podcast. So we had to invent the podcast so that we could continue to roast him. And that that is actually what has kept me youthful. And that's what we're doing today, right? We're having a third anniversary roast of David. Absolutely. I mean, why else would you do this? That's my my gift to you is that I'm... uh, uh, infinitely roastable. It it never ends. There's 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 always an opportunity to do it. Yeah, there's um, no roasting David that ends up with him overcooked. Thank you. Thank, <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you, Corey. Um, well, we'll be glad we should... to know though that since Corey is back in her native California, the only thing that she roasts now are purely organic and vegetables <laughs> and things like that. I mean, it's none of this like, you know, pork that she was eating when she was living in London or anything. <laughs> yeah, well, that's of course, right. I'm, I'm sure in Vermont, that's exactly what you're doing. I, In fact, I have this image of you sitting there in your kind of lodge in the woods every night tromping out, going and hunting dinner for the Sanger clan. I was going to do that, but I have to tell you, for the past two days, we've had nothing but fighter jets flying over us. We assume from uh, up on the, uh, up at That's the big really base uh, sign, in, in New York State. And, and I assume that this means they have found me. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Now is when you got to get into your little bunker. You know... Rosa, I checked, you know, at your insistence when all mm-hmm. of this began, and it turns out there are abandoned bunkers in Vermont and in uh, New York State that uh, you can you can actually like go out and visit, but they have not yet turned them into Rosa condos. <laughs> okay, David, I know with your expertise on nuclear issues that I believe I can reveal your strategy, that all of these bunkers in Vermont are for you what the road mobile MX ICBM was in the 80s. That is, you're complicating targeting. They may have hit empty bunkers if they're going to get you. And you may remember that when the MX came out, there was a great column that Art Buckwald, who only David here is old enough to have, you know, actually read regularly, wrote, suggesting that what they do with the MX missile, which our listeners would know was supposed to run around on little railroad tracks, right? So it wouldn't be, wouldn't be caught out in the middle of suggested that we just strap a missile to every Amtrak train and mail the <laughs> Soviets a schedule. <laughs> The theory uh, well, it that's possible to hit them. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the olden days because uh, Art Buckwald, uh, I guess, was dealing with railroads that ran on a schedule. If you attached them to an Amtrak train now, they would just be sitting in Penn Station forever. Yeah. You know, David, I think the point was they will target to the schedule and they'll never hit a single one of these things. That's, that's wow, that, exactly the concept. Yeah, yep. that's, that's true. I, of course, you know, wherever I go is the silo. So you can see <laughs> I carry with me the silo sign that we had made three years ago, as well as the... Welcome to the third sub basement of the Ministry of Star Science. Yep. This is this is like this is like Faust. Uh, uh, where hell so is many there ways must I ever like, be? It, it's this pathetic. is hell, nor am I out of it. This is the silo, nor am I out of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of metaphysical. Beautiful, yeah. Rosa. 
no, it's, thank you, Corey. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, there's there's got to be some purpose to a, a degree in English literature. <laughs> well, actually, that would be German, uh, Rosa. No. Uh, well, it depends. Marlowe. Which Faust you're dealing with? If you're Marlo. dealing with Christopher Marlowe, but if you're dealing with Goethe, not Goethe. My, okay, my pa- the nerds of Deep State Radio, <laughs> please join me in savoring this moment that we get on a podcast about foreign policy. Rosa and David arguing about which version of Faust she is quoting. Clearly, Marlowe. Well, you might think Marlowe, although Christopher, uh, although uh, <laughs> oh, you're uh, on a first name basis, are you? Yeah, although Goethe no, uh, was um, a member of the German government, he was, you know, Goethe was an interesting guy because he did not just write poetry; he was also a botanist. Nor a scientist. do I. I don't just write poetry. Yeah, no, that's a good point. <laughs> I mean, you know, but have you, you prepared write something? Important op-ed pieces about how to train police. Yeah, well, that's the no, And that's, I could write them in, in, in rhyme sextets if I had to, goddammit. Yeah, well, no, I just want you to know, Rosa, that I keep right by my desk here in Vermont <laughs> a copy. Oh, of, David, okay, I love you. With your poetic title, How Everything Became War and the Military Became Everything. And you could not do a title like that if you weren't in an English major. I, I so think. true, so yeah. true. Um, yes, well, we're looking forward to the next book. But rather than talk, I keep David's books here too, but they're propping up my computer. So that I'm- <laughs> well, well, you think but you that think does that- speak very highly of David's productivity. I don't have enough books to fully prop up your computer, but David, <laughs> David's, you know, you no, no, my computer right now is about nine feet in the air. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's much more challenging for me because David will periodically send me something and say, "I have a table that's." three quarters of an inch too short in one leg. And then I have to write <laughs> to the length of his table legs. Uh, which, is, which, is, which is much more difficult. It reminds me, and Corey appreciate the reference, of a Jules Pfeiffer play called George's Moon. And in the Jules Pfeiffer play, George's Moon, George becomes the greatest athlete on earth. And then because he's broken every record on earth, he flies to the moon. And on the moon, because there's one sixth gravity, he breaks every record on the moon. And finally, <laughs> looking for a challenge, he realizes all that's left for him to do is to try to exactly equal his past records, which is much more difficult. Absolutely, it is. Yeah, um, I, it's like that great baseball, um, not riddle, but uh, test that any deep state radio listener can win a bar bet on. What, who is the only pitcher in the history of American baseball who, who threw a game in which the batting average of every player on the opposing roster was the same at the end of the game as it was at the start of the game? Um, wow, that would have to I be somebody who threw, uh, threw a no-hitter on the first day of the season? That's exactly right. Those are the only, cir- that is the only circumstance in which it could occur. And who was that? Bob Feller, 1942, I think. 1942. Um, Cleveland Indians, Bob you know, I Feller. Have, I have so much more respect now for Corey than I did even before. It's, oh, you know. I already knew Corey knew stuff like that. Yeah, I see I didn't. I, this is the side of Corey she's kept from me all these years. <laughs> the baseball statistics. Yeah. <laughs> you, 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 
must not be paying attention. She certainly hasn't kept it from us. <laughs> I've been, uh, well, in any event, look, it says something about us after five years that we can start off with 15 minutes of banter um, and actually not get anywhere, but amuse the heck out of ourselves. <laughs> I think the secret of doing this for uh, that long is, uh, I, and I won't speak for David because I never do, but uh, is that I like you guys and that you are funny and you seem to like each other and you're smart and it, the conversation just keeps going. It's a conversation that won't end. Um, I, I, I did want to pose a riddle a little bit in the same vein as 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 Corey's riddle, uh, because you know when we started doing this thing, the the deep state radio thing, uh, of course, in part we came up with this name because uh, it was to tweak the opponents of the so-called deep deep state. Um, and in part because we actually really got them on the run now, David. Yeah. (laughs) Well, do we, um, uh, I hope, I hope so. I I really look forward to an episode in which we're not discussing them, but, um, (laughs) uh, I thought getting a step into that direction, I'd, I'd pose a question, which is if you are not allowed to use the name of the president of the United States and discussing developments in the world over the past three years, um, we're not allowed to discuss the activities of the president of the United States. And you were going to say, this is, this is a big historical thing that happened during these three years that may have been overshadowed by the clown show at the White House. What would it be? What would, what would, what would we be focusing on if there was not this, this clown show? And let me start, as I often do with these things, with Corey. I would say the big story is the end of China's rise. Wow. Wow. That is a big story. Tell us about that. Tell us about that. That's somewhat optimistic. The economic model begins to stall as they move from being a go-go, low-end manufacturing model to getting stuck in the middle income trap and they are stuck in the middle income trap because the repressiveness of the government will increasingly stand in the way of the creativity necessary to drive innovation and to move their economy up the value chain and not just their domestic repression will has gotten in the way and will increasingly get in the way of their continued rise, but they have activated the antibodies against it. Nobody trusts their economic statistics anymore. Western businesses are on the side of renationalizing manufacturing and supply chains to exclude Chinese producers from them. Um, That China's neighbors, despite he whose name cannot be said in this segment and the policies they've enacted, um, America's allies in Asia are deepening their alliance relationships with us and developing independent alliance relationships like the cooperation between India, Australia, and Japan. Um, and, And so I think we, the American system is, is gaining momentum 
on a concern about China, just as that concern about China should be leveling off and decreasing because the seeds of their own stagnation are beginning to um, bear fruit. If you're a regular listener to Deep State Radio, you know that one of the sponsors we're happiest to have, uh, and we're happy to have all sponsors, uh, is The New Yorker, publication I've been reading my entire life. All of us read regularly, and all of us regard as uh, one of the leading lights of uh, journalism anywhere in the world, whether it's the print edition of The New Yorker, the web edition of The New Yorker, you find in The New Yorker the best writers writing about the most important things. If you go to the website right now, you will see um, uh, stories about the uprising across America, whether it's uh, uh, the heart of the uprising in Minneapolis or uh, Jelani Cobb's piece, An American Spring of Reckoning, or Elizabeth Alexander's piece, The Trayvon Generation. Uh, but you'll also get commentaries, such as the really, really good piece by uh, my former colleague, Susan B. Glasser, uh, on Trump refighting the Civil War, uh, except that he's on the losing side. Uh, we also uh, can find a great piece by one of the leading environmentalists in the United States, Bill McKibben, called A Guy Named Craig May Soon Have Control Over a Large Swath of Utah. Uh, and you've got humor, and you've got cartoons, and you've got uh, crossword. You've got everything you could want in one publication. Uh, and that's why we strongly encourage you to take advantage of the special offer that they provide for listeners to Deep State Radio. You get 12 weeks for just $6. It's regularly $12 plus. You get a limited edition tote bag. You get home delivery of the print edition each week. You get unlimited access to newyorker.com with 10 to 15 exclusive site-only stories every day. That's like a brand new magazine every single day of the week. You get access to their apps, online archive dating back to 1925, crossword puzzles, and more. So get 12 weeks of The New Yorker for just $6 plus the limited edition tote at newyorker.com backslash deep state, all one word, newyorker.com backslash deep state, all one word. You will save 50% when you enter the code deep state at checkout. Go there, do that. Thank you very much. Wow, David, can I actually step in and briefly disagree with Corey for like the first time in three years? We're going to have to get new mugs made. Yeah. Say, you know, Corey, I can't agree with what you just said. Go go ahead, David. Go, yeah, right. I mean, it's such a rare day that I'm actually beginning to rethink whether or not what I'm about to say is right, because usually Corey's right, as opposed to when I argue with you. But, uh, <laughs> but um, I think the biggest... And I was going to name China as well, but in a different way. I think the biggest change in three years, apart from um, he whose name we are not mentioning in the course of this uh, uh, broadcast, is the unification of the Democrats and Republicans on a common belief that we need to push back on China very hard after years in which various elements of the two parties, and it switched at different moments, were of the view that we could integrate China and basically make, by bringing them into the Western system, 
force them into change. And now the common view is they're not going to change. They're going to come into that system and change the system around us, which is what they've been doing pretty effectively. Um, Corey may be right that the Chinese have run out of steam, or it may turn out that the Chinese are just reconfiguring their approach and their economy right now. Certainly, I agree that they've run out of steam and that they won't be able to run six or seven percent growth if we ever really believe those numbers, uh, you know, in years coming. But I'm not sure, Corey, that I would agree that they are losing the battle with our allies. I think that our allies have not turned to us. And you've seen it in the way the 5G debate has played out, where they basically ignored an American effort to try to get them not to sign up with the Chinese. Uh, and only recently, only recently, have they begin to, th- to think about the fact that if you can't depend on the Chinese to tell you when a virus is spreading, or you can't depend on them to provide uh, personal protective equipment, maybe you should think twice about relying on them for your telecommunication systems or anything else vital. That's very so, interesting. But I think That's- the 5G example shows um, that even even if the US isn't central to driving allies the direction um, of anti-China policies, China's own choices are driving them that way. That's that's right, and that came a little bit later. That I would would completely agree with, and the fact that the Chinese uh, Communist Party was not a force when Bob Feller was was, uh, (laughs) pitching his game. No, they were still they were still in the hills. I That's guess. right. And they were still working, <laughs> they're working, working their way out. Um, Listening to those games over a shortwave radio. No yeah, doubt. well, I used to go as a child to the Bob yeah. Feller games, of course. Uh, ah, lucky not, you. Not, not, did not. Although I do remember when I was in elementary school that they had a version of a book called How to Pitch by Bob Feller that was autographed by Bob Feller. Wow. And I would go into the elementary school library in Berkeley Heights, New Jersey, and and open it up and marvel that there was actually a Bob Feller autograph, which was, uh, I believe, the only interesting thing in Berkeley Heights, New Jersey at the time. <laughs> um, well, Rosa, you could jump into this, this debate, um, uh, which I think, by the way, reenacts uh, the the sort of obverse of the famous Corey Shockey versus Graham Allison Thucydides trap debate. Try and say that five times fast, uh, which took place on this air once a while ago. And of course, Mr. Sanger is a Graham Allison acolyte, so I'm not surprised that he would stand up. <laughs> Graham I Allison I- is the poor man's David Singer. Oh, well, oh, oh. <laughs> well, that's the harshest thing you've ever and said I, about and Graham let Allison. Let me rush to say, I don't mean that as mean-spirited towards Graham Allison, who's not only a wonderful colleague, but a, a wonderful intellectual force. It's a compliment to David, not a criticism of Graham. Mm-hmm. 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 Sure it is. No, 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 it is. We, we accept that. Um, Rosa, do you want to save us from this debate? I, I don't, yes, let's change the subject. Um, no, I, I don't know who is right, David, David or Corey. Um, I, I sort of hope Corey's right, um, but, but, but we shall see. Um, I was going to uh, 
mention two things, and one of them is, well, both of them, frankly, are, are fairly obvious. Um, one is, is Brexit and the collapse of the EU as, a, as an idea and the, you know, in many ways collapse of any sense of moral or political leadership from the UK, um, uh, just the total fragmentation that we have seen uh, on the European continent. And the second, which is which actually is related to that, but could and it, I think is, is complicated because it's sort of pushing in, in two directions at once, opposite directions at once, is of course the pandemic, um, which has not only led to a cataclysmic global economic crisis, albeit one that's going to play out in very different ways in, in different parts of the world, but it has both accelerated the pre-existing trend towards more go-it-alone go it forms of nationalism, more forms of transactionalism in, in international relations in Europe, more of a sense of, hey, it's everyone for themselves now, which I think was, we were already seeing that as a result both of, of he who must not be named in the U.S. and as a result of, of Brexit in Europe. But the pandemic, uh, you know, just just turned the heat up under that and left every European country scrambling to say, forget the rest of you, we're closing our borders, we're doing our own thing. That being said, the reason I said, of course, that the pandemic also pushes in the opposite direction is that more powerfully than anything else in recent years, it of course illustrated the complete and utter interdependency uh, politically and economically of all of the countries of Europe, indeed globally. Uh, and so it simultaneously led to sort of the biggest surge of screw you, you know, we're going our own way that we've seen in really a couple of decades in Europe and may yet contain the seeds of the most powerful push back towards, wow, we, we can't go it alone. It just doesn't, it just doesn't work. It may work for a few months, sort of. But long term, we just we have to have a plan together. So, so those I don't and there too. I don't know how that's going to shake out. You know, five years from now, ten years from now. But it does seem to me that in terms of transformative global events, that the the combination of the sort of Brexit, European fragmentation, and then the the catalyst uh, of the COVID pandemic, in uh, complicating that, we're going to be living with the ramifications of those for a very long time to come. So I started with Corey, and David responded to Corey's thought on this. I want to give David um, a chance here to offer up a um, another major trend that we may not have missed, or you may, if you wish, address uh, Rosa's formulation of nationalism versus globalism wrapped in a pandemic. Um, so I think the second big one is, um, while Corey describes the the decline of of uh, Russia, uh, so the decline of China as uh, a, a growth factor. I would say that um, the two other big factors that I think I've seen in the past three years is Russia continuing to figure out how to be a great disruptive force, um, despite the fact that they are uh, losing um, population in all kinds of economic troubles that Putin himself doesn't seem to be uh, in this great power. They've gotten more um, uh, mileage out of the 2016 interference than they ever possibly could have imagined for a tiny investment of money. 
And for the United States, I would say that all of the events of the past few weeks, past few months, from pandemic to protest, have probably done more to damage our own soft power over the long run, that we um, are no longer considered to be um, a generous nation, that we are no longer considered uh, to be a reliable ally. And now with these protests, depending on how they sort out, I think we've accelerated the decline of America as the country that is able to go deal most forthrightly with these internal issues. That last one may change. It may turn out that this protest era um, ranks with what happened in the 1960s to reform the United States, but it's too early for us to know for sure that that's going to be the outcome. And now, a word from a new sponsor. This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm James Haynes Young, and this week... Every single time they just tell us, we're going to make it better, we're going to make it better. And this week, we're asking if the new deal between the United States and the Taliban can bring peace to the country. And on this week's episode, we speak to a retired Canadian astronaut about isolation. I've lived off the world for half a year in a tiny little confined space surrounded by danger. To subscribe, search for Beyond the Headlines. We came perilously close to um, mentioning the president and the policies of the president. But I never actually quite did it. I I walked right around it, David. Well, Corey, I'll give you you the opportunity here to respond to David's thesis as as he responded to yours, uh, whether it be the one about the rise of of, of Russia over this period, or if you wish, because he tiptoed around it, um, to uh, deal with the one of where we are in the decline of the U.S. Uh, I'd be happy to respond to both. I I think Russia is still settling into the silt at the base of its decline, and so I. I'm more skeptical than David that Russia can continue to play a major spoiling role. Um, I, I share his assessment of the role they have played so far, but I think, and I'm smiling because I see Rosa put her mask on. I'm, I'm arrived. What so kind of wear ma- it for the duration. What kind of mask is it? Well, well, funny you should ask, David. This is a uh, deep state radio um, global crisis prevention mask. And when you wear it, the global crises sort of filter through the silt at the bottom (laughs) and reach you only in a sort of attenuated, humorous way. Is that an an N95, which means that it filters out almost 95% of the garbage that we throw out? (laughs) Sadly, this is one of those trick masks in which you, you know, give the appearance of complying with public health um, orders while in fact doing nothing that has any effect whatsoever on on helping you or anybody else. But, you know, that's a metaphor for our entire effort. (laughs) I, I I have to say, first of all, Rosa, you're missing the point of that mask because there is a a pocket in that mask. Oh so my God. Put a filter. Uh, You're so right. It. 
You're so uh, right. Or you so, could so, like, you know, so it's you actually stick the, a bunch of post-its in it, or or you well, could use it to carry your carry your credit cards or, or your iPhone. In fact, or a is, camel pack, a camel, a camel with wine a, or other drinkables. Let's see if we can get the. Oh my gosh, guys, look at this. Check it out. You could wear your, your phone on your face, and your phone will filter out COVID nineteen. So there we have it. So Deep David, when I was when there I was discussing the decline of American soft power, I think so. Rosa just proved my case. <laughs> no, David, I was going to say there is no end to our ingenuity. Rosa has actually proved the optimistic case. <laughs> the frivolous nonsense, the banality and <laughs> bullshit triviality of American um, culture is what is universal. People crave it, right? If you look at the culture. Oh, yes. They demand our banality and frivolity. France, Italy. You know, they're turning out in their millions and protests in the street. You know, I don't know whether for American frivolity and banality. So, I, I don't know whether I'm more shocked that Rosa has invented the fanny pack for your face, <laughs> or that that we just heard Corey say bullshit, which I don't think has ever happened on this podcast before. It's so. true. I try to avoid it, cursing. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is what but we Rosa, appreciate about you, Corey. Rosa, Rosa drove you to it. Yeah, <laughs> the, the touch of gentility. I do not believe the protests are going to be damaging to Americans. No, I agree. I agree. I think they're good for Americans. Getting better looks like. And the protests that you see happening all over the world are America's adversaries trying to exacerbate our problems, but it's also America's friends calling on us to meet the standards we set for ourselves, to be honest and true to our, our founding ideals, and also to challenge their own governments. It shows mm-hmm. the universality mm-hmm. of our values and the belief that people still have in the United States potential to be better than we are and to be a call for mm-hmm. them too to be better than they are. No, I, I think I think they. If anything, they help. They help restore and undo some of the damage of he who not cannot be named by by making it very clear that there are still Americans, notwithstanding the White House, who care about certain core values. And civil military relations are in a better place at the end of a very tumultuous eight or nine days. What we have seen is both the civilian and the military leadership of the American military establishment wrap themselves in the Constitution and make a choice that they did not want to be associated with legal but uh, socially fraught actions by the president who is the commander in chief. That's a worrisome thing to have the military take that stand but it was also in assertion of both broad public reaction. Mm -hmm. So not only the protests, but I've just seen polling done and after Secretary Esper apologized for militarizing the conversation and publicly said 
he did not support invocation of the Insurrection Act, 85% of Americans across all political stripes supported the Secretary of Defense doing that. So, Corey, I would agree the protests, I think, are the great thing that may bring back American power, and it may ultimately affect the election. We don't know that. It's the, it's the events that led to the protests, the shootings, the, continue, mm-hmm. you know, the, the systemic racism issues and so forth, that I think do erode some of our, our power. Because what's going to happen here is the part of this that's going to get repeated on Russian and Chinese propaganda is all about what happened then. And, and I think that um, that's the part that some part of the world is going to remember. If the protests bring about change, then I agree with you. Then we're on the road to restoration. Uh, you know, I, 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 I just, I just want to say, I think that? that this is a, such a, a, a positive, accurate assessment, and it's just not one that I've heard in a lot of other places. And, and that Can is... I- one more thing before we leave this subject, David. No, no, yeah, absolutely. But I just want to reinforce your point before you add it, which is the protests are America healing. Vladimir Putin may think they are uh, a sign of weakness. The person we're not speaking of may think they are a sign of weakness. But the ability of people to get out into the streets and express themselves is how a free society changes itself. And one of the ways that you can see that is, you know, today, the United States Supreme Court reaffirmed the civil rights of um, LGBTQ community at large. um, And that wouldn't have happened were it not for Stonewall were it not for people getting out into the streets. And we can cite lots of other things. And so I just think you've really hit upon a theme here uh, that is underplayed uh, and, 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 and deserves more attention. And the, I absolutely agree with that, David. The, the two small points I would add to embellish it is that Vladimir Putin may think this is a sign of weakness, but many Russians may wonder why they don't have the ability to force their government to come into line with their beliefs. The Chinese certainly wouldn't have to deal with 485 videos of police brutality on the list that's circulating around the United States in order that we can hold our police departments accountable for protecting and serving us in the ways that we want them to. Um, Mm -hmm. And, the uh, militaries of China or Russia or other authoritarian societies um, wouldn't side against the leadership in favor of institutional restraint and the beliefs invested in the constitution, nor would they kneel in front of protesters the way not just military, but many police departments across the country have done in order to validate the concerns that the protesters are out in the streets demanding redress of. That's a good point. Rosa, are you, are, 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 I mean, after- I'm, th- I'm in wholehearted agreement with Corey. So you're, so after three years, you're going to take the optimistic position. Well, I, <laughs> just this once, but don't get used to it. Don't, don't go getting too used to it, but, but yeah, yeah. Heck, little California sunshine coming from a corner of Alexandria. 
I mean, I, I actually think the last few weeks has simultaneously made it very clear to Americans that this administration really will stop at nothing. Um, and I'm g glad to see that, you know, after a long period in which it looked like absolutely nothing was going to alter he who must not be named approval ratings, this actually does seem to have begun to shift that a little bit. Um, so, so I think I think one you know one lesson for observers was wow, uh, it's even worse than you might have thought. It's, it's even scarier. Um, but the other lesson, you know, the, the 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 virtue of the vices of that or whatever I don't know what metaphor I'm using anymore. I'm tired. Um, you know, is is that it? I think for for the first time, it led to some real pushback on on he who cannot be named must not be named cannot be named uh lord voldemort um oh god i said it um, president, president voldemort president voldemort um you know and that makes me feel a lot better pushback both in the form of americans showing you know ordinary americans of every race age income level etc showing that they are willing to go out there in the streets and say not okay we need change which is incredibly powerful, um, but also at the elite level, at the level of you know Esper and Millie and so forth. Uh, uh, for the first time, and you know Jim Mattis finally coming out and saying, uh, you know, enough is enough. Um, that that gives me hope, even as we have begun. We probably have not yet plumbed the depths of depravity, et cetera, uh, and President Voldemort, but. But, um, you know, even, even as we've seen just how bad it could get, you know, with his suggestion that he's perfectly happy to have active duty U.S. military in the streets dominating American peaceful protesters. Um, we also saw a little bit of a resurgence of a little bit of, of regrowth of spinal cord uh, <laughs> in some in our government. And that was cheering. Well, let me let me say something that's going to make everybody's head explode here, and I'm ah. glad glad you're here for this, uh, uh, David, because I think there's another dimension of it that has been marked over the course of the past three years, um, and that is that just like the protests in the streets show the the resilience and the the strength of a free society, and and uh, frankly leave me fairly optimistic, although I think we've got some rough months ahead of us. So too has a resurgence in journalism uh, and the work that people like David and others uh, at the New York Times are doing uh, at the Washington Post, on the internet, at sites across uh, the country, the Carol Kedwalleters of this world, the Julie K. Browns of this world. You know, there is a lot of great work being done right now that's saying, no, you can't get away with it. No, no matter how you wanna fight, transparency, we will find a way to let the sunshine in. And is it flawed? Yes. Are there problems? Yes. But I think people will look back at this period, David, and I think people will say um, that this was a, a golden era of journalism pushing back. Um, I completely agree, David, that this has been the great reminder, really, for the past three years of why our system and a First Amendment make a difference in ways that other societies, even our democratic allies, frequently can't imagine. And you've heard me say many times, there's a reason the First Amendment is first. And uh, we have a, a government right now 
that um, has probably done more to try to go suppress examination of how it operates as any as I can remember in my lifetime. And a press that I think has done a spectacular job at pressing back, even with all of the mistakes and errors, and there are many uh, that we've made, and even with a, uh, a president trying to uh, uh, declare fake news at every step. The disheartening part of it is that these best of times for American journalism have also been the worst of times, particularly at the local level. And what I worry about the most for the future of journalism is not whether we can hold the federal government to account, but whether you can hold the corrupt sewer uh, uh, administrator in a small town to account when we have seen so many um, local papers, um, local websites, really enterprising, great um, news gathering go away. And I think of our, our big journalistic challenge for the next 10 years is going to be what do we replace that with? Yes, and and also... We have seen a rise in fake news, a rise in in sites that are trafficking uh, in uh, information that is actually disinformation, seeks to be deceptive. And I think how we combat that, which is only going to get more difficult with the advent of AI and deep fakes and other kinds of things, uh, is going to... And this will be the year to test it because, you know, we forget we're only at mid-June, folks. <laughs> you know, we don't yeah. know what the protests are going to look like uh, by election time. We don't know what the foreign interference is going to look like by election time. Yeah. For those of you who are just listening and not watching, you would have seen Corey's hair stand on end uh, just a <laughs> moment ago. Corey, why was your hair standing on end? At the reminder of just how much is still going to be needed from us to wrench our republic back within the comfortable guideposts of uh, institutionalized free democracy um, and how much damage the president has done to that already um, and the depth of the repairs that will be needed and what I was specifically reacting to was David's reminder of how much trouble the president can create between now and the election, how much trouble foreign adversaries interfering in our society can create before and during the election. Rosa, so often on these three years of, of podcasts and even on these five years of podcasts, I've turned to you and said, the last word is yours. So the last word, Rosa, is yours. Yours. <laughs> that oh, was that's funny, wasn't it? Oh, geez. Oh, man. Tip <laughs> your waiters. Put the mask back on. Tip oh, your waiters. Yeah, She's yeah, here. Yeah, She's yeah. here all week. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. if, only, if only we could develop a mask that filtered out the bad jokes. You know, the only thing that I worry about here, David, is we've been doing this podcast, as you say, for three years, and they haven't been good years. And I'm a little worried that it's our fault. Um, I mean, it, you know, can this be a coincidence <laughs> and how can we make it better? Well, that's, uh, interesting. I really hadn't thought that it was our fault, although that does support all those well, deep I mean, the, state theories you know, that you've the deep heard. State is, is clearly at fault. 
Um, uh, I, well, look, we're also saying that things are recovering and maybe we're part of the recovery. Maybe we're part of the resistance. Maybe we're here speaking truth to power in the hopes that someday we will push that power off the stage and get to something better, whatever that may be. Um, uh, I, I certainly hope that's where we're going with all of this. I trust that's where you guys are taking it. Uh, we'll talk about where we're going next Monday when we talk about the future of things. Of course, we've got other podcasts coming this week, but on this, our, our basic foundational Monday podcast, this week we look back, next week we look forward with these guys and with Ed. Um, uh, in the meantime, you know, everybody's going to want to get one of those deep state radio masks that Rosa was deep holding Deep state up. radio iPhone cases, deep state radio wallets. However you choose to look. Go back to the swag about Team Rosa, Team David. Yeah. We will reintroduce that. We will definitely yeah. we will reintroduce that, and I will come back next week with an announcement. New mugs. And I want a tiara on the Team Corey mug. And we a, will, a thorny <laughs> crown of entropy on roses. Okay, and what will we put on David's? A cow. <laughs> <laughs> what is that cow? What the David Sanger's cow? Yes, of course. It's his mascot. <laughs> I had and it, no... it will be, a, be shaped as small maple syrup container. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll work on that. Our, our, the, the elves in the deep state radio a hollow tree will immediately begin working on those things right away. And we'll bring you news of that uh, when we get there next week. In the meantime, if you want to get one of those masks now, the easy way is to go to the DSR network.com, click on membership, become a member for God's sakes. We've been doing this for five years. We don't ask much from you. I think membership costs like, I don't know, the price of a latte every month. It's not that big a deal and it can support us doing this um, and help fight back against the uh, pernicious forces that we have talked about here and that David was mentioning particularly with regard to the information sector. So go to the dsrnetwork.com, do that. We don't ask that often every week, but not that often every week. We could do more. Um, and uh, uh, we'll look forward to joining you here. In the meantime, not only do I thank Corey and Rosa and David and Absent Ed and all of the folks who produce this and our team led by Chris Cottonwar, but I also want to thank everybody. For three years, we've had tens of thousands of listeners to each and every episode. We've had more each and every week. Um, that's because not only are you great and loyal listeners, but because you tell your friends, uh, and that has helped us to grow and find a place in this world. Uh, and uh, so you are as much a part of having made this what it is, and we're looking forward to bigger and better things in the future. Uh, and we thank you for that. And we thank all of you and uh, enjoy the rest of your week and do try to be safe.